Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking to Aristotle Zampiris, who is the author of The Emergence of Israeli-Greek Cooperation. Aristotle's book was published this year by Springer. I hope that you really enjoy this interview that I did with him. Welcome back to the podcast. Again, uh, I have the real pleasure to talk to the author of The Emergence of Israeli-Greek Cooperation, published by Springer in 2015, Aristotle Zampiris. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, actually. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, Before we get to your interesting book, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, born and raised in Greece, I'm an associate professor of international relations at the University of Piraeus in uh, Greece. And I just uh, I managed to complete my book uh, while during my sabbatical, which is why we actually have sabbaticals, which I spent at NYU at the Remark Institute, to which I'm very, very grateful. Yeah, it's um, it's such a it's such an interesting and timely topic. You also have managed to publish a book that does not have a uh, subtitle. This is so rare these days. We often have these books with long titles and even longer subtitles. I just wanted to commend you for providing us with just a a, a very straightforward title. And and what you've done is le- left all the interesting details to the actual book, which is probably what we should all do. So thank let's, you. Let's. Let's talk about this book. Um, We all know that Greece has been in the news a lot for its financial situation now. Um, But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about its recent geopolitical priorities, Um, and and in particular separate from its relationship with Israel and Turkey, which are really the subject of the book. So would you put us sort of into a context of Greece uh, beyond what we've all been hearing of late? Absolutely. The thing is that uh, Greece, as the entire world knows, has been facing an acute sovereign debt crisis. And this has had uh, serious implications in terms of loss of GDP, 25%, uh, huge unemployment, especially the young people. Unemployment is currently at 26%, 27%. This is all well documented. But you would expect, and this is perfectly uh, reasonable, that such a crisis could and probably would affect foreign policy and diplomacy. So that one of the questions is, how is Greece's foreign policy affected by this crisis? Well, one thing which is very positive is that because of its institutional affiliation in NATO and the European Union in the Eurozone, uh, Greece's fundamental strategic orientation was never in doubt and still isn't, despite of what we might occasionally read or hear. On the other hand, these are real problems. And uh, if in a nutshell, if you're facing an acute crisis and at the same time, and I'm not getting to whether this is right or wrong, but it's the feeling that your major security threat comes from Turkey uh, and Turkey is on the rise. Every single power indicator shows Turkey on the rise. How does a country react to this? In other words, Greece was facing uh, during the past few years a perfect geopolitical storm. 
Every power indicator in Greece was going downhill, was going south. Every power indicator of countries that were, um, especially Turkey, that was that is seen as a potential security threat was improving. How do you deal with this, especially when you're part of certain institutions? The answer, again, pretty uh, uh, straightforward is you need to find new friends. You need to uh, maximize your resources. You need to search for um, ways in which you're, you can improve your lot in foreign policy and diplomacy. And this is where this is the big framework in which uh, Israel and Greece and cooperation comes forward. This is the general framework. But so much more gets into this as well. It's not just yeah. that. That's a big picture. Right. And, and um, uh, sort of with the theme of finding new friends, you know, the important part of this is that Israel and Greece have this uh, fraught relationship over much of the 20th century. I wonder if you can just sort of briefly talk about what drove these two countries apart preceding the story that you tell in your book. Exactly. Well, when you write a book, uh, often it helps if you can uh, locate a puzzle and try to answer it. So in this case, you have Greece and Israel, two countries uh, that for about six decades didn't have really good relations. The relations around the gamut of uh, bad to not very good. That was it. And then suddenly, uh, multifaceted cooperation erupted, emerged within a short uh, period of time. So this is what I'm trying to answer. Now, let's we need to go back to figure out why this was the case, why the two countries did not have good relations. And let me just add that what is surprising are the commonalities between Greece and Israel between uh, the Greek people uh, and the Jewish people. Uh, the commonalities are immense. They come uh, in world history at about the same time. They're one of the very few peoples who have had a, a continuous uh, cultural and historical present for probably 3,000 years plus. Um, they uh, emerge at the same time. They're Mediterranean peoples at, at heart. Um, you go to Israel and actually, I'm going next week, and Greek uh, musicians are extremely popular. Culture is uh, similar. Food is similar. You would have, and if you think about world history, even though we're not talking about big numbers, the cultural uh, and scientific contributions of uh, Greeks and Jews have been immense. And we can go on and on. We can talk about the diasporas and, and so on. But so you would expect much closer relations, but this was not the case after the creation of the state of Israel. Why? Uh, my research suggests that this was not because of anti-Semitism in Greece or in a, any anti-Greek feelings in Israel. Uh, successive Greek administrations had a certain view on, uh, had certain interests high on their agenda. To give you an example, there was a very important and financially strong Greek minority in Egypt. Greek governments were afraid that Nasser was going to kick them out if they supported Israel. They didn't support Israel. They did. They were eventually kicked out. Or uh, Greece was very much focused uh, at the level of the UN on the Cyprus issue. And Israel could offer one vote. The Arab countries at some point as many as uh, 22, I think. So more than 20. So you want to take the votes. But again, the issue, the Cyprus issue was not resolved at the UN. Then there were concerns about the Suez Canal, uh, the Suez Straits and Greek shipping going through there unhindered. So throughout uh, several uh, decades, successive Greek governments had realpolitik uh, reasons 
for not supporting Israel, not really anti-Semitism from my point of view, uh, not based on anti-Semitism, uh, but they didn't really produce any tangible uh, rewards or successes. So I think it was high time for a reappraisal of Greek foreign policy uh, vis-a-vis Israel. And that begins right around the time that the crisis erupts. Now, there's a third player here, which is Turkey. Yes. Um, how would you characterize the, this trilateral relationship between them in the 1980s and 90s? Again, in the period right before you focus on what, what was the, the relationship between these three uh, neighbors um, and, and sort of growing and changing uh, world powers during this time period? Uh, Turkey and Israel had uh, were very close, especially uh, at the level of military cooperation in the 80s and 90s. And that was certainly not the case with Greece. And it is, uh, to an extent, a trilateral relationship. But let me tell you something that uh, I, I've confronted. So um, when you talk to officials publicly, they will say in Israel or in Greece, and we're talking at the highest possible levels of government, and I did my interviews, uh, most of them, and I'm talking the very highest levels of government, uh, they will say, oh, this had nothing to do with Turkey. This uh, Greece and Israel, Israeli cooperation has nothing to do with Turkey. Okay, there's a great episode in uh, the Yes Prime Minister, the BBC series, mm-hmm. where Humphrey Appleby says, never believe every, anything until it has been officially denied. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, I mean, to think that this is a coincidence that just when relations between Israel and uh, Turkey soured, and then Greece moves in very quickly to have um, a multifaceted cooperation with Israel, either would believe that this is pure coincidence, completely unrelated, or as I think I prove in my book, it is related. Um, and I, I can go on how I think I, I, I can prove it, uh, not only because it makes sense. Listen, a lot of things in this world make sense. They don't necessarily happen, uh, but this did happen. But before I do this uh, and maybe talk about how I can, one can prove this, let me just say that the whole concept of Israel and Greece coming together um, had a very uh, had a sense of urgency. And the goal was to create a relationship independent of Turkish-Israeli relations. In fact, one of the biggest surprises in uh, the fieldwork that I conducted was that successive Greek administrations – actually would eventually like tensions to lower between Israel and Turkey. Uh, but after uh, cooperation between Greece and Israel has its own momentum, its own uh, raison d'etre. So uh, because it, it makes sense. If you have uh, fewer tensions, then you can uh, concentrate on uh, areas of common interests. So to wrap it up this, it, in my uh, research, it's absolutely connected with Turkey even though officials will deny this. Um, But the whole point is to create a relationship that eventually or very soon will be independent of Israeli-Turkish relations, a relationship of cooperation based on common interests and based uh, and having its own raison d'etre. Now, uh, there there was this chance meeting at at this cafe that you talk about that – that, uh, that that people maybe sort of suggest is is what uh, is the impetus for for the change in the relations between Greece and and Israel. You suggest that this is this is actually not the case, but I, I wonder if you could just first tell us what that meeting was, and and um, but more importantly than that, um, what the the Gaza Gaza Freedom Flotilla was, and and how 
how and why you you point to that as actually the much more important motivating uh, event for for the change. There's um, um, an official, unofficial, unofficial storyline, and it goes like this. Um, former Greek Prime Minister George Papandreou meets accidentally with uh, uh, the still Israel, current Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Moscow, and they meet at the Café Pushkin, and they hit it off, um, and this is really the turning point. Now, this uh, narrative is somewhat self-serving, and it certainly puts the emphasis on relations on the first level of analysis on uh, uh, personal relations and of course, it's it shows as the uh, protagonists uh, being um, the the two prime ministers and especially the Greek prime minister. So this it's it's a great story, and if you want to have a beginning or a turning point, why not a Cafe Pushkin? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it sounds nice. It's a, it's actually a very nice place. What happened in reality was that uh, the Greek delegation was there. They were getting hungry. It was getting late. They had a reservation on the second floor of Cafe Pushkin. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was having dinner with his wife on the first floor. George Papandreou walks in. They think maybe we'll have a drink for 15 minutes or so. Um, it lasts two hours. They hit it off. Really good relations uh, at a personal level. Uh, most of the discussion was actually about the Greek financial crisis uh, based on people present, let us say, because uh, Netanyahu was finance minister, finance minister of Israel and Papandreou was facing a huge crisis. So most of what they talked about was about the financial crisis in Greece. So I'm not denying the fact that personal relations, good personal relations among leaders can really help. But on the other hand, to say, as someone suggesting that 60 years of policies reversed because two people have a drink and some dinner at Cafe Pushkin, I think is an oversimplification. Uh, and uh, unless we see the big picture um, of what was going on in the region, we cannot really understand fully what happened. I mean, this is the oversimplified, journalistic, uh, kind of like self-serving uh, um, version of events. My research suggests that the, the the turning point was the Mavi Marmara incident. Why? We know that this is where nine Turkish citizens got killed. It was boarded by uh, IDF forces. It was trying to actually end the Gaza blockade. So uh, talking to people who were directly involved with this, it was only in the aftermath of the Mavi Marmara event that people from Greece flew to Israel. They had meetings, again, at the highest levels of power. And it was then that the very important meetings, uh, travel visits by Papandreou to Israel, and about two weeks later, uh, Netanyahu's historic visit to Greece were decided. In other words, for the first time in 60 years, a sitting Israeli prime minister decides to visit Greece. Uh, I don't think that's because they enjoyed dinner or just because of that. I think there were larger forces going on. And I think that after Mavi Marmara, there was a growing sense in uh, Israeli circles that at least for the short run, Israeli-Turkish relations are not going to improve. In fact, they're probably going to deteriorate. So that's when, that's for me and my research, that's a turning point. That's um, when uh, Netanyahu comes to uh, Greece, first time historic. And if you look at what was said during uh, those days, that's the template for bilateral cooperation since then. Um, Let me just stress, I'm not saying that individuals are not important. Individuals actually sign deals. And I'm not saying that good uh, personal relations are insignificant. Uh, But usually when you have 
a reversal of policy that is of long standing six decades long policy, uh, more things have to be uh, in play. And I, I'm getting some uh, reaction, official reaction from officials at this point, uh, but I certainly stand by what I what I've written and what I published. And let's talk in specific terms about what has changed. Um, independent of what caused the change, what are the specific elements of the bilateral relationship that you illustrate in your thesis that, that we can look to? What are, what are things that have happened that wouldn't have happened just 15 or 20 years ago? What are the, what are the, the, the specifics that, that you would point to to say, this is evidence of change? There are several specifics. Um, and, and of course, you raise a, a very important point because politicians might say, OK, this is what we want. We want closer relations. OK, but that's at the level of rhetoric. How about deeds? Um, and, and that's really the test. One test, I th- and I consider that of the utmost importance, is the fact that anywhere from 400 to 500,000 Israeli tourists are now visiting Greece annually. The number used to be in 20, 30,000. Now it's close to half a million. This is very important because it shows trust. They trust going to Greece. It's very important for Greece because let's not forget Greece is facing a financial crisis. So any help is welcome. And most importantly, it brings two peoples together. So you put this uh, because of the improvement in relations. Suddenly people, uh, Greeks and Israelis, come into contact, which was not really the case. That's tangible, and you can actually see how uh, the, flow, the tourist flows increase only after Netanyahu's visit, really, um, after the improvement of relations. Another test, very interesting, was with the Gaza flotilla, too. So um, the people, the activists who organized the first Gaza flotilla that include, included the Mavi Barmara uh, wanted to do the same again. And they, uh, they they actually got their flotilla in Greece, mostly in the port of Piraeus, but in other ports as well. And uh, the Greek government essentially sabotaged this and did not let them uh, leave uh, Greek ports. This it's it's inconceivable that this would have happened uh, even a few years before cooperation. Uh, and in fact, the activists had not fully grasped. Uh, the reality of improved Israeli-Greek uh, bilateral relations, because otherwise they would not. They thought it was a safe thing to start their um, trip, their 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 attempt to break the embargo from uh, Greece. Uh, a third concrete example is the signing of a memorandum of understanding, an MOU between the two militaries. Now, uh, this is uh, not a military alliance. This is not a wartime alliance. But now you have much more military and security cooperation evinced in uh, numerous uh, joint uh, military uh, exercises, uh, which are not a secret. They're publicized. You can Google them. But nothing at this level, at this intensity, at this frequency happened before this. A fourth example, and I'll give, I I mean, I can give more, but I'll, I'll just say two more, is the fact that when uh, Israel was facing its greatest natural um, um, uh, wildfires that were a huge challenge to the country. You had uh, more than 10 people dead. You had thousands of evacuees. The, the, this was a huge catastrophe for Israel. You actually had Greek uh, fire, uh, firefighters who are very good at this because unfortunately in Greece every summer we, we face these, this kind of uh, crisis. Uh, they flew to Israel 
and they contributed to the extinguishing of the wildfires, and they were publicly congratulated by the President of Israel. And that's very important because, A, it wouldn't have happened before uh, improved relations, and B, it showed in a concrete way to the people of Israel that this is real, this cooperation is real. Final point, and although last, is certainly not least, uh, the potential for cooperation in energy. Now, here's uh, uh, an issue where political science is actually very helpful. Uh, we often hear the catchphrase uh, beloved by State Department officials, in particular, pipelines for peace. Uh, and we know that uh, Israel has natural gas and Cyprus has natural gas. And it, it's probably the case that part of it is going to be exported. The thing is that political science is conclusive that this catchphrase pipelines for peace does not really work. It's the other way around. You need to have peace before you can move towards even thinking about pipelines. Uh, the existence of energy resources might be an incentive for cooperation, but you need to get the politics right first. Unless you have improved bilateral political relations, unless you have political relations of trust, you cannot start discussing energy cooperation. And this is where also Cyprus is being uh, brought, has been brought in. So the fact that Greece, Israel, and Cyprus improved their political relations has allowed the discussion of how to proceed with energy cooperation. Energy cooperation is complex. It's a dynamic process. Various schemes are being discussed right now. We don't have final decisions. Private firms are part of the equation as well as wider geopolitical developments. But the achievement was that we got in, uh, improved uh, political relations. And suddenly you can discuss about the East Med natural gas pipeline linking, if it, if it is ever built, uh, Israel, uh, Cyprus, and Greece, and then it goes into the rest of Europe. So this is, these are examples of how uh, the improvement in relations has led to concrete developments, concrete actions, and note they're based on mutual interests, clearly defined. Now, one of the criticisms that, that a lot of um, good writing about foreign policy decisions faces is is the methods question, which is, well, your story is being constructed out of, you know, the secondary accounts that appear in newspapers. And, um, you know, you can find a newspaper to support any account of any foreign policy story. Your approach was very different. Before we finish up, I wonder if you could just sort of highlight how you went about telling your story and, and the method you used to, to, to verify and, and to, to support the, the thesis that you developed. I was, uh, well, thank you for pointing this out. I was actually very fortunate to be able to talk with a lot, not all, but most of the decision makers and most of the decision makers at the highest levels of power. But here's the thing. Um, I was actually interviewing them or I had access to them right after specific events were happening and before we knew how things would turn out. So I was almost like unofficially recording their reactions and their points of view right after certain meetings, for example, key meetings were taking place. And I, uh, whenever I describe a meeting, uh, I'm, I, I have at least two sources uh, present there to whom I have talked, uh, usually one Israeli and one Greek. So I feel, and, and this usually takes place uh, right after uh, the meeting. So it's fresh in their um, uh, recollection. And it's also uh, uh, 
at a point where we don't know how things are going to turn out by, say, 2014. Uh, things are just happening right there. So this is what allows me to feel pretty uh, uh, confident about my conclusions. Uh, of course, I also use secondary sources, books, uh, articles, uh, newspapers, but I actually had a the privilege of talking to a lot of the decision makers as they were making the decisions. And then I came to NYU where I actually had the time to write it up. Uh, so that allows me, uh, that allowed me to have an in-depth uh, look uh, at a specific uh, case study. Uh, often uh, case studies are dealt with in a few pages or based on secondary material, as you say. But I, I, I hope uh, that I actually managed to go deeper. Yeah, and, and you clearly have and, and produced such an interesting book. Uh, Aristotle's book is The Emergence of Israeli-Greek Cooperation, published in 2015 by Springer. Aristotle, thank you very much for your time today. And thank you for your questions and for giving me this opportunity uh, to talk about my new book. Thank you. <laughs>